0: Again, uh, those of you who were here back in early October may remember that uh, Professor Jimmy Agan, a uh, member of the faculty at Covenant Theological Seminary up in St. Louis, was uh, here with us for a special occasion that weekend. Uh, I think it was a wedding, as I recall. And uh, travel and schedules and whatnot worked out in such a way that they were able to be with us uh here this weekend, the Agan family. Uh, Jimmy, why don't you start making your way on up here? Um, we go back, Jimmy and I go way back to 1992 when we were first year students at Covenant Seminary. And uh, we were reflecting just last night, I guess it was, uh, the way our families have intersected, even as our families have grown significantly since those days. And uh, one thing, just to give you an insight into this guy and Patricia, uh, his wife, and their family, is in those early years at Covenant, Schwartz Knight. That was not a, a thing that they had at the seminary. Uh, that was a thing that they had in the Agen apartment uh, because they, they wanted us to eat, Sarah and I, and I guess we were looking a little thin. And so on a weekly basis, they would have us over and, and feed us well, and that was often a highlight to the week. That and bantering about Star Trek The Next Generation, <laughs> Jean-Luc Picard, and the Theology of Q, but that's a, another story. Jimmy. <clears throat> Good to have you. Tonight. Thanks Richard.
1: Yes, we ate a lot of waffles on Schwartz night. Because, uh, yeah, we weren't living high on the hog in seminary. So, uh, one time we had shrimp, but usually it was waffles. Um, you'll notice if you see the, the page of notes in your worship bulletin there that uh, this morning's passage comes from the book of Proverbs. The first few verses of the book of Proverbs, and um, you might be wondering why, why, if you're a guest preacher and you're just going to preach once, why preach on the first few verses of Proverbs? And, and then why give it a title like Preparing for Battle? Well, it has to do with um, really where our family is living right now. We have four teenagers. And uh, so I would like to, you know, just sort of, I'm I'm taking a visual poll of the room. I'm noticing several people who will probably be 13 one day. Maybe you're not 13 yet, but you're on your way. And I'm noticing several other people who are probably somewhere between 13 and 30. Now what's the significance of 13 and 30? In uh, the days when the book of Proverbs was written, that was kind of what it meant to be young. And so the book of Proverbs is written specially for people who are young, people who are at that sort of time of of fighting the battle, choosing between a way that's going to lead to life and a way that's going to lead to death. And in this battle, this daily battle between wisdom and foolishness, between following God's paths and following other paths, that battle rages every day when you're 13 when you're 30, when you're older, when you're younger. And the book of Proverbs is given to people like that. People who are fighting that battle every day. And people who are helping others fight that battle. So maybe you're over 30, but you know somebody. You're, 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 you're parenting the young person who's fighting that battle every day to choose paths of life or death, wisdom or foolishness. Or maybe you're like a friend of mine who uh, sent me an email a couple weeks ago and was in a Bible study on the book of Proverbs and just said in frustration, you know, help me find Jesus. We're talking a whole lot about good advice for the way to live, but, but as we're gathering each week to study this book of the Bible, we aren't talking much about Jesus, and it's killing me. So some of us are fighting a different kind of battle a battle to see Christ in every area of life and in every part of Scripture. And that battle is a battle in which life and death hang in the balance. So that's why we're looking at Proverbs today. It's where we all live. It's the battle that we're all fighting. Let's read together the first few verses of Proverbs. Verses 1-7 through seven are kind of an introduction to the whole book. Verses 8 through 10, just give us a sampling, a first sampling of of how this uh, battle is going to be fought. And uh, so we're going to read verses 1 through 10 together. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of those who are wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not give in to them. Let's pray for just a moment and ask God to give us wisdom as we look at His Word. Heavenly Father, we need You to open our hearts, our ears, our minds, pour in true wisdom by the power of Your Holy Spirit. Prepare us for the daily battle between life and death. And prepare us to see Christ in all things. We pray in His name. Amen. So, everybody wants to be... But you're wondering how I'm going to finish that sentence, right? Everybody wants to be a Jedi Knight. Even if you've never heard of Star Wars, you want to be one of these guys. You know, the Jedi Knight in the Star Wars universe is the guy who always knows exactly what to do the moment the battle starts. The battle begins, and he knows exactly where to be, exactly where to look, when to turn his head, where to put his lightsaber, who's behind him, who's in front of him, who's all around him. The Jedi Knight knows all this stuff. Now, depending on how much of a geek you are, you know why that is, right? It has to do with these little organisms called midi-chlorians that let you sort of anticipate the future. Now, you didn't grow up wanting midi-chlorians in your bloodstream, but everybody wants to be the person who knows exactly what to do at every moment. Everybody wants that kind of wisdom for living, that kind of skill at getting life right, knowing exactly the right thing to do in every situation. Knowing exactly the right way to respond to every question. Knowing when to say, I don't know. Knowing exactly... The right choice when you're faced with multiple really hard options. We just finished a week of touring colleges uh, on spring break. And as Caroline gets ready to graduate next year from high school, so many options, none of them easy. Always knowing exactly what to do when you're faced with that situation. All of us want that kind of wisdom, that kind of skill at living. And that's what the Bible is talking about. That's what the book of Proverbs is talking about when it speaks about wisdom. And in the passage that we read, we heard several synonyms. We saw the word wisdom in verse 2, the word understanding in verse 2, prudence in verse 3, and in verse 4, knowledge in verse 4, knowledge in verse 7, wisdom again in verse 7. You hear the idea. There are lots of different ways of describing what it means to be this good at living. But whatever we call it, we all want it. And we recognize we don't have it. We don't have it. That's the good news of the book of Proverbs. That our God wants to give us the very thing we don't have. Our Father wants to give us the very thing we all want. He wants to give us this kind of skill at living. He wants to give us what His Word calls wisdom. You'll see on your notes there, sort of three orders. Think of them as a commander in the field of battle. And here are the orders that are going to keep you safe as the battle rages around you. Here are the orders that are going to help you to exercise the kind of wisdom that your Heavenly Father wants to give you. And you see the first order there. Choose your allies carefully. There's this battle raging in life and throughout the book of Proverbs. We're only looking at the first ten verses, but already you can feel it. There are sinners wanting to entice you And then there are wise people giving you wise counsel and advice. And the one path is going to lead you to death and to sorrow and to chaos and to misery. And the other path is going to lead you to life and to beauty and to joy and to peace. And life and death hang in the balance of this battle. And the first order you would hear from your Heavenly Father is choose your allies very carefully. There are a lot of people on this battlefield. Some of them, the Bible describes, you might think of them as the veterans. These are the people who've been in the battle a long time. They've figured out how to stay safe and how to survive. Proverbs calls them the wise. Verse 5, let the wise listen and add to their learning. Verse 8 mentions fathers and mothers. It doesn't call them the wise, but it assumes that that, that they've got experience, that they've learned how to see God in everything. The wise in the book of Proverbs and throughout the Scriptures are people who have learned to see all of life through God's reality. He is at the center of their vision. There's no part of life that they look at, think about, concern themselves with where He's not at the the absolute center. He is the field of vision for everything. But also on the field of battle are enemies, fools. Verse 7 refers to fools as those who despise this great gift of wisdom that the Father wants to give us. They despise discipline. They're called sinners in verse 10. And in verse 10, you see what they're trying to do. They're enemies because they're trying to actually seduce us and lead us to go to a place that's going to put us in greater danger. Fools are those people who have seen this vision of life where God is at the center of everything and they've said, I don't want it. And then there's one other group of people on the battlefield. They're the veterans. They're the enemies. And then there are the raw recruits. The people who just showed up. They just got their head shaved yesterday. The raw recruits... That's what uh, verse 4 means by the simple. Throughout the book of Proverbs, you're going to read these three groups. They're the wise, they're the fools, and then somewhere in between are the simple. The simple would be the raw recruits. These are the people who are, you know, they kind of, yes, I want to be in the army. I have no idea what that means. Yes, I want to be about God's business in the world. I really don't know what that means. Yes, God is in my field of vision, but He's kind of out there at the periphery. He's not yet at the center. I know enough about truth that I want God in the picture. I'm not yet become the seasoned veteran who knows what it means to have God at the center always, all the time. And the book of Proverbs is saying to us, be careful where you get your allies from. It matters whether you choose as your allies in this battle the wise or the fools or the simple. Be very careful on the field of battle, who you choose as your allies. What that means for us is that God is calling us to be careful about who we allow to shape our vision of what it means to live successfully. If wisdom is all about living right, living skillfully, always knowing what to do, always knowing which choice is, is best in a hard situation, if, if that kind of skilled living is what we're after, what God wants us to have, then we've got to be careful who we allow to shape our vision of what the good life is. Because there are some people who are going to want to shape that in a wrong way. So we would start to ask questions. The people I'm letting shape my vision of life. Are they people who are willing to accept correction? Look at verse 2. These proverbs are given so that we could attain discipline. Verse 3, acquiring a disciplined life. Verse 7, fools despise Discipline. Discipline involves correction. If if you know someone who won't accept correction, don't let that person shape your view of what the good life is. Because they wouldn't know it when they saw it. Proverbs is, is saying, be careful. Here's another question. Is this person able to submit to authority? Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Don't forsake your mother's teaching, verse 8 says. We've got to be careful. Are we letting our vision of what it means to live well be shaped by people who have no respect for authorities that God has given us? If the answer is yes, then this might be a good ally in the battle. If the answer is no, this person can't accept authority, then be careful. Be careful. Be careful. And most importantly of all, verse 7, does this person fear the Lord? What does it mean to fear the Lord? Man, we could write a whole book on that. We'll take just a moment here to sum it up this way. If you fear the Lord, according to Scripture, then you will submit to what He has revealed about Himself. You will submit to everything He has revealed about Himself. Fearing the Lord goes hand in hand with accepting what He has said about Himself. Now there's more to fear of the Lord than that, but that's a good starting place. So we begin to ask, who are we going to let shape our vision of the good life? Who are we going to let tell us what it means to live wisely and well? people who don't know what it is to fear the Lord, people who don't know what it is to submit gladly to what God has said is true about Himself, will not be good allies in this battle. So God is loving us by telling us to be careful as we choose our allies. What I would say in terms of application is these are the questions we got to be asking about the books we read, the music we hear, the entertainment we choose, the people we date and Mary, we start to ask these questions. Are these things going to help us to submit ourselves to what God has said is true? Are these things going to help us to accept authority? Are these things going to help us to be ready to receive correction and discipline? If these things are hardening our hearts to discipline, hardening our hearts to what God has said is true about Himself, then they're not leading us toward life well lived. They're not leading us toward wisdom. They're leading us away. God wants you to have wisdom. And so he tells you, be careful. Be careful who you choose as allies in this battle. He gives you another order as well. You'll see it on your page of notes there. He warns us, don't lose sight of the objective. Right, so if you've, uh, you've been around military culture and learned about fighting a battle, there's always an objective. You don't go fight a battle just for no good reason. You, you, there's a goal you mean to accomplish. There's, there's a way you'll know when you've, when you've won the battle. You've, you've obtained that objective. But as you study the history... Of the world, you see it's easy for soldiers and even commanders in the stress of battle to lose sight of what that objective is. Um, Trisha and I are from South Carolina and uh, so I like to study the history of our home state, especially the Revolutionary War period. In 1781 in a little town called Utah Springs, there's a great example of where uh an army lost sight of its objective. The British uh, held this uh sort of strong house and uh, the field around it where they had set up camp. American force was coming in to uh, try to drive them off the field and um, that was the objective of the day you know in the in the minds of most commanders and soldiers in the era of the Revolutionary war period it was Drive your enemy from the field. Hold the field at the end of the day. That's how you know you won. And uh, so things went well as the battle began. uh, The American troops routed the British, just drove them completely. They, They fled in terror from the field. And they left behind everything that they had set up in camp. And so you know what happened next. The American soldiers whose objective was to win the field and hold it at the end of the day, started to become distracted by all the loot they found in the camp. All the riches, all the weapons, all the wealth, all the warm blankets, all the warm coats. And then they found the liquor. And they became, became not only distracted, but intoxicated. And they began to act like men whose objective was loot and liquor instead of victory. And the British, sitting in the woods where they had retreated to, started to see all this, and they just said, well, now's our chance. And they came back in and uh, recaptured the field that had been so uh, hard fought for earlier. The book of Proverbs is telling us that God didn't create us for loot and liquor. He didn't make us to live for, for that kind of objective God made us for wisdom. He made us for a real kind of living. He did not make us so that we would get on the field of battle and get distracted and intoxicated by a false form of living. Life well lived does not consist of wealth and fame and easy sex. That's the world we live in though that says, here is true life. Get as much money as you can. Now, some of you are sitting here thinking, well, that's not really me. I'm not not in that category. You know, I don't struggle with wealth. Well, wealth has a little brother called comfort. And even those of us who know we'll never be rich still can, can become so gripped by that idol of just a comfortable life. And then we hear the world saying fame, and we know, look, I will never be famous. Nobody will ever read my Twitter account. They don't care what I had for breakfast. I'm not ever going to. Nobody, paparazzi aren't going to stalk me. Okay? But fame has a little brother called popularity. And popularity likes to get hold of us about fifth grade and doesn't let go. And even people who will never be famous still want to be well-liked within their little circle. And many of us are saying, you know, our culture is a culture about easy sex. That's not me. No, it's not. But how many marriages have been wrecked, not by a desire to be unfaithful to your spouse, but it's something that starts much more innocently as just a little thrill when someone new gives you some attention. It's all loot and liquor. It's all distraction and intoxication. It's not really what life is about. Those are not our objective. Because here's the thing. One day, one day, this is going to happen. A close friend is going to lose a loved one. And you're going to need to know what to say. And you're going to need to know how to love that person in that moment. And the loot and the liquor won't help you in that moment to know how to love your friend. One day, your child is going to come to you and say, maybe, I hope not, we hope this will never happen, but one day, it could happen that your child comes to you and says, Mom, Dad, i got to tell you, I'm sorry, but I've been experimenting with Now you fill in the blank with the thing you fear the most. What would you least like to hear at the end of that sentence? I've been experimenting with drugs. Is it alcohol? Is it with a cult? And in that moment, when you hear that, being famous doesn't help you. Being rich doesn't help you. Being wise helps you in that moment. Fearing the Lord helps you in that moment. When you've got to say to your child two things and say them in the perfect combination. One, stop messing around with this. It will destroy your life. Two, I love you so much that I'm not going to give up on you no matter what. And saying those two things in just the right combination at just the right moment, that's wisdom. That's what God is giving us. That's the objective of this battle. He's created us for that kind of living that we could live so wisely that the wisdom would begin to spill over and pour into the lives of other people and make their lives wiser and better and richer. And loot and liquor don't do that. They just distract us. Don't lose sight of the objective. Our Father is telling us here in these verses of Proverbs, throughout the book of Proverbs, throughout all of Scripture, He's telling us, don't lose sight of what I want to give you. It's so much better than what anyone else and everyone else is promising you. There's a famous general in the history of, of uh, American military, uh, who who knew what it was to never lose sight of the true objective. His name was Nathaniel Greene. He's from Rhode Island. You might not have heard of him. Um, Revolutionary era general. Washington placed him uh, in charge of all the Southern Army. Uh, of the United States toward the end of the Revolutionary War. As we mentioned earlier, during uh, the 18th century, the kind of the standard that every general uh, aimed for in battle was to hold the field at the end of the day, conquer that piece of land, drive your enemy off of that piece of land, and if you hold it at the end of the day, you won, he lost. Your name goes down in the record books as the victor. He goes down as the vanquished. And uh, you rise up in the ranks. That's, That's how you made a name for yourself in the military of the day. That was the objective. Win the field. Hold the field at the end of the day. Green's objective was different. Green's objective was get the British off this continent. I don't care about that little piece of land. I don't care who holds the field at the end of the day. I want these guys to leave this colony and this continent. We want freedom. We don't want a patch of grass. As a result, Nathaniel Green lost every battle he ever commanded, lost. He won the war by losing every battle. Never did he hold the field at the end of the day, not once. Every time, his, uh, his approach was the same. Dig in, prepare to hold the field, sucker the enemy in. As the enemy comes in, inflict terrible casualties and then run like the Dickens. <laughs> and so that was the plan. Every time. That's, that's how he won the war. By losing every battle. You want the field? You can have the field. But at the end of the day, you're going to lose more men than we do. We may lose our pride. We may go down in the record books as the guys who lost. But we're going to stay on the offensive until you leave our continent and we have our freedom. That's what it is to not lose sight of the objective. When the objective becomes so small and temporary that you lose sight of what... What is really going on in this world? It's easy to get distracted. But Nathaniel Green never did. He won victory through weakness, through wisdom that looked in that day like foolishness. He never lost sight of his objective even when his soldiers did. See, he was in charge at Utah Springs on the day when his soldiers became distracted by loot and liquor. So commanding an army full of people who were ready to lose sight of the vision, he himself never did. Do we have a commander like that? (coughs) You know the answer, don't you? It's written all over Scripture. And there's our third command, our third order. Choose your allies carefully. Don't lose sight of the objective. God wants to give you something so much better than the loot and the liquor that this world promises. But most importantly, stay close to your commander. We have a commander like that. It's mentioned right here in Proverbs chapter 1 verse 1. This is the umbrella that hangs over the whole book. These are the proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. God has given us a king. A king who would lead us in the way of wisdom, a king who would keep his eyes on the objective even when his people might lose sight of that objective. God's purpose in raising up a king is so that we'd have someone to lead us in the battle between wisdom and folly. Someone to be like a father to the whole nation of God's people. To speak wisdom into their lives. We know how Solomon did that for a time. It's important then to remember that Solomon is called here the son of David. He's not the last person in the Scriptures to be called the son of David. God made a promise to David that one of his sons would rule forever, forever leading God's people in the path of wisdom. And so God has always provided a king to embody the way of wisdom. And that king is the son of David. Isaiah spoke about this king. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, he talks about somebody who would uh, rise up from the stump of Jesse, the father of David. And he says, The spirit of wisdom will rest on him, a spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. God is going to send a king, a son of David, who will embody what it means to live wisely. In Matthew 12, 42, Jesus said about himself, You know, at the end, people are going to rise up along with the Queen of the South who came to visit Solomon. And they're going to condemn everybody who failed to repent. Because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And then Jesus said, Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is saying that he embodies wisdom perfectly even more than Solomon, the wisest king who ever lived. Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the king of Israel. Jesus is the one who reigns over us and leads us. Jesus is the one who wins victory through defeat. Jesus is the one whose wisdom looks like foolishness, but who never loses sight of God, even when we do. We may get distracted by loot and liquor. Jesus never did. Stay close to your commander. God is saying. He was saying that during the days of Israel when Solomon was king. And now that one greater than Solomon has become king. Now that the greatest son of David reigns over all the earth. God continues to stay. Stay close to your commander. God's not offering you loot and liquor. He doesn't want you to just be distracted and intoxicated so you can survive and cope. He's offering you and me real wisdom so that when the hard moments come, there will be peace and life and joy. So that when life begins to look like defeat, there's still the possibility of real victory. He's offering us that. He's offering us that kind of king who can lead us in that kind of wisdom. Everybody wants to be a Jedi Knight. Everybody wants to know exactly how to live, exactly what to do. Everybody wants to get better as the battle gets more intense. There's only one person who has ever lived that way. Jesus is our king. And so God says to us, choose your allies carefully. And don't lose sight of the objective that he wants to give you. Real wisdom. but those things won't ever come into your life unless you are staying close to the commander He has given. So find Jesus. Find Jesus, and you'll find wisdom. And when you find Him, get real close to Him. And when you get close to Him, stay there. You want wisdom. You want life. You want it for you and for your children. Stay close. Stay close to Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, most of us in this room would be completely overwhelmed if we took five minutes to answer the question, what are the most foolish things I've ever done? Not foolish in terms of silly, but foolish in terms of the things that have wrecked our own lives and wrecked the lives of others. where they had the potential to do so. Maybe you and your grace protected us from consequences. But if each of us took five minutes to think about the most foolish things we'd ever done, we would, we would be overwhelmed. We are so grateful that your desire is to give us wisdom we're so grateful that your desire is to give us the kind of life that flourishes even as the battles rage around us and we're so grateful that you have given us king jesus so that our hope does not depend on our perfect path of wisdom our hope depends on him thank you lord jesus for always saying no to loot and liquor, for always saying no when sin and flesh and the devil tempted you so that you could be our king and we could live safely under your reign. Help us to be wise because we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.